0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a masterclass from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in.
1: Have you ever had those moments where somebody tells you that something is bad and you don't really know that it was bad. You didn't know your whole life that something that you were doing was bad. I grew up in the 80s, and so being a child of the 80s, there are some things that my parents did that parents just don't do now. Uh, It would have been deemed bad now to do those things, but when we were kids, it wasn't bad. So nobody told my parents that kids were supposed to be in car seats. I mean, it just didn't happen. And some of you are shaking your heads. You grew up in the 80s and you realized that the best place to sit in a car was on that that front console, that console right between the seats. My brother and I used to fight over who could sit there. And I'm thinking to myself, why did they let us do that? I mean that really does seem bad now but we were just if you can't beat them join them. I mean everybody was living that way. I used to like to ride in the very back of the car, you know, in that little spot above the back seats between the 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 glass and I'm thinking to myself, nobody told us that that was bad bicycle helmets there was no recreational bicycle helmets in the 80s i mean you had to be a legit bike rider to be able to have a helmet and now you know if you're 3 and on a scooter you know you have to have a helmet and i'm thinking to myself nobody told us that, that was bad i think about my playground that i would go to as a child and my kids love the playground today but on my playground right in the center of the playground was this big metal circle and it was called a merry-go-round And it was off the ground, and it had some rusty nails on it, and you would run around that merry-go-round, and and if you got, if if the physics kind of took over, and you got thrown off of that merry-go-round, you would hold on for dear life, being drugged through the dirt and through the mud, a dislocated shoulder, but we were having the time of our lives. Nobody told us that that was unsafe. It seems bad now, but back then, it was just normal, I also hear that Red Rover is a game that is now outlawed. But when I was a kid, it it was awesome. I mean, you really haven't lived until you took a forearm right to your neck at full speed. (laughs) But now we would all say, oh, that's just bad. But then it wasn't bad, or or maybe it was a rule at your office, and, and, and your boss or your office administrator has told you that this is bad. You can't run cardstock through the printer, Jason, and I'm thinking to myself, why is that bad? It's always worked for me, hypothetically speaking. I don't know why you can't make that work. It's bad, but I don't know why. But it's not just these random things. It's not just these things from childhood. It's not just family things. It's not just work things. There's things in life that sometimes we are told these are bad, but we really don't know why they're bad. And if I kind of fast forward into the spiritual realm, there's probably some of those things. Maybe you were raised in church or maybe you were raised in a very legalistic upbringing. And and there's lots of things that you've just been told were bad and, and you don't know And, of course, from a sin perspective, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that you would say, I know that sin is bad. But have you ever actually stopped to think why it's bad? Because maybe your entire life you've been taught, well, sin is bad. You need to flee from sin. You need to be made alive in Christ. You need to move away from those sinful things. And that is assuredly true. But what you see here in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, where we're headed today, as we continue in this master class series throughout the course of the summer, unpacking this beautiful, amazing, deep book of the Bible called Romans, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome, what you see in Romans chapter 6 is Paul helps us understand why sin is bad. And it's up on all of us to realize that it's not just enough to say, oh, it's bad, but we got to know in our heart why I need to flee from that. And as we know in our heart, it helps us help other people know in their hearts that God has a different plan for their life, a different story for their life. In fact, so much of Romans up to this point has been all about How to flee from those things in our life, that we're all guilty, that we're all in need of a Savior, and that God made a way for us to be made right. So just know that I'm honored that you're here with us today. I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here with us on this Memorial Day weekend. And my hope and my prayer is that God would speak to your heart today, not because of anything that I say, not because of what the band does today, but because through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would meet you, that he would meet you right where you are, and that you would walk away today changed because of him. So with that, let's pray to that end. And ask God to meet us here. Ask God to show us why he's brought us here today and to speak to us through his word. So, Lord, thank you again for meeting us here today. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship already. Thank you for your word that we're getting ready to dig into. I pray that you would change us, that we would meet you. God, I pray for the person in this room that might be hurting, that might be broken, that might need to be reminded for the first time or the hundredth time that the sin in our life is something that you come to give us freedom from. As bad as it is, God, you made a way for us to be made whole, and you don't hold that sin against us anymore. So we thank you for that, Lord. And we're grateful for your presence here in this place, and we just give this morning to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Now, big picture, you and I have a sinful nature. It's why sin is bad. It's why it's it's something that we deal with, because we have a sinful nature. You are prone to to live your life in direct opposition to God, as am I. God has a great plan for us, and we try to forego that plan. But what God has done is he has sent Jesus, his son, to die for those sins, to take those sins so that those things do not have to be our story anymore. But we continue talking about sin, don't we? Why? Why do we never stop talking about sin? We never stop talking about sin because it's a continual process in our lives to say, I want to be made alive in Christ and I want to be dead to my sin. I want to run to God and I want to run away from the things of this world, the things that are so easily building my life or so easy for me to build my life around so if you have a bible turn with me to romans chapter 6 you're going to see these words up here on the screen a lot of them are printed there for you on your worship guide hop on that mobile device scroll over to romans chapter 6 and follow along as i read romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14 so what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means We will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him or as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace." Go back with me to verses one and two. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul starts this part of the letter. He's changing a thought here, but he says in this thought, should you and I go on sinning to the, to the church? Should you go on sinning just so that grace can increase? Should you live in sin, should you flee, or should you just kind of stay captive by sin so that the grace of God will increase and more so in your life? And he says, absolutely not. But what is the underlying truth in those two verses? The underlying truth in those two verses is, should I go on sinning, is another way to say, you can still sin. Should I go on sinning, then the pretext there is that you and I can sin. We can sin, even though... You are a follower of Jesus Christ. Even though you know Jesus, you're still capable of sinning. In fact, until the Lord calls us home, we will always be capable of sinning. But shall I go on sinning? See, that means that there's going to be a struggle in our life. For us to sin. Now, you don't want to miss next week because if you're at all interested in this topic, you're going to want to come next week. Because the big idea of Romans chapter 7 is why do Christians still struggle with sin? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Why, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do I still struggle? with sin. If you have ever posed that question to yourself, if you have any interest in that, mark your calendar. You do not want to miss next Sunday because we see so powerfully in Romans chapter 7, Paul answers that question. I mean, he gives us the direct answer to that. So go ahead, read ahead, consider yourself duly informed. But we struggle with sin. But once I've died to sin, it really should be my desire to not live in it any longer to not let that be a part of my story, for that to not be a part of my story anymore. You see there on your worship guide notes, perhaps you want to kind of fill in the blanks and maybe that'll help you to reflect on this. Or maybe you're like me and you have a short attention span and it will help you just to pay attention a little bit more. You don't put sin to death and then bring it back to life. (laughs) That's in essence what Paul is saying here in chapter 6. You don't put sin to death and then bring it back to life. Go back to verses 3 and 4. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so Paul is saying Jesus was put to death. It's the story of Easter. Jesus was put to death. He was put in a grave, but on that third day, he resurrected. And because Jesus resurrected, everything in our life can be conquered. And he says, Jesus was put to death. And then he gives this beautiful picture of baptism. And he says, if you follow with believer's baptism, it's a beautiful symbol of identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. You go under the water to be buried in your old way of living, and you come up new And fresh, It's a beautiful symbol that identifies with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I love those celebrations. We've had several of those baptism celebrations over the last few weeks, and we have some more coming up this summer. In fact, June 18th, June 25th, we already have people that are going to be baptized. And if you've yet to identify with that, if you've yet to say, you know what, I want to identify with that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, make a note on that card and say, I want to be baptized. I want to talk to someone about that. It is a joy joyous celebration, and we love to celebrate that identification with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. But Paul says, but we don't do that in our own life. We don't put our sin to death and then bring it back to life. When it comes to sin, our desire should say, you know what, I don't want to use the grace of God as a reason to continue sinning, but rather because of the grace of God, I want to put that sin to death And I want it to die. I don't want to bring it back into my life. Rather, I want to keep it over here in a distance so that it's not something that I struggle with anymore. See, my goals should say, you know, what I want to put that sin away so that I never see it again. There's an ongoing struggle. You and I will never be perfect in that. But it should be the heart's desire to say, you know what, I, I want those things to stay far, far away from me. Now, I don't know about you, but I do this all the time. We intentionally put things away never to see them again. I mean, mean, think about it. Some of y'all have that box in your garage. We have them. We have three boxes in our garage that have literally moved from every house that we have lived in in the last 15 years. I mean, they have been untouched. They have been unopened. I don't even know what's in there anymore. But we have moved them to the last three houses. Why? Because we need it. I'm not sure what's in there. Maybe this afternoon I'll just go find an X-Acto knife and just crack them open and see what's in there. They're under the stairwell in the garage, but they're valuable. (laughs) And if we ever move again, I'm sure we'll load them up and take them on to the next house. Some of you have done that. You have things in your attic that you thought you were going to need. Or worst case scenario, some of you have rented a storage unit. It's big business. If you had a little overhead, get in the storage unit business. It's big business these days. Because, I mean, when's the last time that you've ever bought something new and put old furniture in it? I mean, just think about it. You put all the old stuff there because you're going to need it someday. And unless you are very, very disciplined, things go to storage units to die. They just go to live out their days at $150 a month for you. But without discipline, without discipline in our life, we will go crack open those sin boxes really, really quickly and try it on for size. And so we store things all the time, never to be seen again. But when it comes to sin, that's actually what we should do. We should put it under lock and key and throw away the key and say, you know what, I don't want that to be a part of my story anymore. Without discipline, we go backwards in our journey. But because we're talking about the grace of God, if we fail to realize how good the grace of God is, then we fail to realize what Jesus has done for us and that we don't have to be defined by those sins anymore, that those are as far gone as the east is from the west. So my hope and my prayer is that none of us are taking the grace of God for granted, And instead of living stagnant lives, instead of going back into our old ways of sin, instead of going backwards in our spiritual journey, may we make a commitment right now to say, you know what, I want to look ahead. I want to look ahead for what is to come. Because you see this here on your notes, to be alive in Christ then is to always be moving forward in your faith. It's not moving backwards. To be alive in Christ is to always be moving forward in your faith. Head back to verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Isn't it an incredibly good news that God has called us out of darkness into light? He has called us out of death into life. So to be alive is to be moving forward forward. To be alive is to say, I have a next step of faith that the Lord has for me. Did you know that everybody under the sound of my voice, anybody who listens to this on a podcast later, every one of us has a next step in our faith journey. We all have steps in our faith journey. We all have steps forward in our faith journey. For you, it might be salvation. That may be your step today. You may have never fully grasped what Jesus has done for you, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that you could have life. And if you're here and you've yet to grasp that, if you've yet to understand that truth, I pray with all of my heart that today that would be your next step, that you would say, I want to give Jesus control of my life. I want to ask him to forgive me for those sins. I want to make that commitment to follow him. You can make a note of that on your card. You can stick around after the service and say, I want to talk to somebody about that. You can reach out to us this week, and we would love nothing more than to celebrate that most crucial next step of your faith journey. But maybe you have made that faith decision, and and you've yet to be baptized. You've yet to publicly proclaim that identification with Jesus Christ. And so maybe that's the next step you want to take. Or maybe it's a next step of giving, where you've said, you know what, I've never given of my time, I've never given of my resources, I've never given of the things that are most valuable to me to a God who literally owns everything, who owns the cattle of a thousand hills, who has blessed me with everything that I have. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've seen, and you've seen these requests that we put out and you're wondering, should I start serving? Is, is there something there that will grow me, that will stretch me. Maybe it's joining with a group of people. Whatever those steps might be, each of those steps moves you forward. And the more forward you move, the further you get away from sin. And the greater likelihood that you're building those things in your life that will make you more and more like Christ. It's this process called sanctification, which is a really fancy way to say you and I are being made holy. And that's an everyday battle, isn't it? It's an everyday battle. It's waking up every morning and saying, you know what? I want my heart and my mind and my eyes today to be focused on Jesus Christ and not on the things of this world. I love the teachings of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus directly addresses his disciples. And he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you really want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to daily make a commitment to follow him. See, that's that process of sanctification, of being made whole. It's not just a yesterday decision. It's not just a tomorrow decision. It's a today decision to say here and now I want to take up my cross and follow him. And it's that continual journey. Did you know that you never fully arrive as a disciple? If anybody's ever told you, I have grown as far as I can possibly grow, disciple, check, you just need to smile and walk away because they have room to grow. As, I, as your pastor, if I stand on the stage and say, you know what, I have accomplished everything that anybody could ever accomplish. I am I, I a am fully mature disciple, nothing to learn, nothing to grow in, nothing that I need to be working through. You literally need to go find another church because that's a really unhealthy thing for anybody to say. Because all of us are on a journey. There's room for all of us to grow. And my hope is that you would say today, whatever that growth looks like, that you would have the courage to say, I want to follow through with that. Maybe it's the next step of Bible reading. Maybe it's the scripture memorization challenge that we've been talking about. And you're saying, you know, what? maybe I should commit some of the word of God to my memory and to my heart. Maybe I need to get up in the mornings a little bit earlier and, and take 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, just reading and soaking in the word of God. Because see, those disciplines will honestly keep you more alive in Christ than anything will. That time in prayer, that time in personal study, that time with others, that's why it's important to do what you're doing right now. If you've ever wondered why is it important to be connected to believers, it's not important for you to do this just so that we can have a building and people can come and sit in it. Rather, when you come to these places, you realize that you're not alone. And through conversations, you realize that other people have struggles like you do. When you join groups of people, you realize that the flaws that you have are not unique to you, that other people have flaws and shortcomings. When you share your stories with others, instead of people looking at you like you have three heads, they say, I understand because that's my story as well. It's the beauty of accountability. It's the beauty of groups being around others builds those guardrails into your life to say, you know what, I want to be alive in Christ and not dead in my sin. If you have a desire to say, you know, I want to, maybe, maybe this is your goal, you say, you know, I want to get up and I want to do a fitness class or I want to go to the gym at 5 a.m. or whatever. It's a very admirable goal. But if you let somebody know at that gym you're going to, that you're going to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning, you have greatly increased your likelihood that you'll actually show up because they're expecting you to be there. They're counting on you to be there. If you text someone and say, I'm going to be there when you don't show up, they have a reason to say, why weren't you there? See, that's why assembling together is so important. Because what happens when we live our lives in isolation, that isolation, it breeds apathy. And eventually that breeds complacency. And eventually, if left to its own devices, bitterness will take root. So isolation... Always leads to an apathetic heart. It always leads to us being complacent. It always leads to us being bitter. And see, all of those things are what I like to call a petri dish for sin to go in our life unchecked. If you really want to create a life where sin goes unchecked, then live in isolation, be apathetic, and find yourself prone to bitterness. And sin will go unchecked in your life. But that accountability, That commitment, those disciplines, those things that we shore up in our life, see, those build, those guardrails, those build, that builds those protection to help us stay in the right lane, to help us to understand that we are alive in Christ. I'm sure that you've noticed this in your life, and it's true whether we're talking about sin or whether we're talking about discipline, whether we're talking about a holy life or whether we're talking about a sinful life. Whatever you feed the most is where you will always see the most growth. You can take this to the bank. (laughs) Whatever you feed the most in your life is where you are going to see the most growth. If you feed disciplines in your life, you're going to see more discipline. If you feed sin in your life, that's going to lead you to more sin. Go back to the text. Look what Paul says in verses 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself. As an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let any part of your life, don't let any part of your body go unchecked so that it's an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God who has been brought from death to life. And when you do that, you become not an instrument of wickedness, but an instrument of righteousness. Do you know that if you allow sin to get a stronghold in your life, it will just continue to be opportunistic? (laughs) Have you noticed that? Sin is very opportunistic, isn't it? It always looks for a crack in the armor, those temptations that you struggle with, they're always looking for that part of your life that is unchecked. These carnal desires, these carnal appetites that we have, they only want more. In fact, the only word that your appetite understands is more. Your appetite never wants less. I always want more food. I always want more sleep. I always want more TV. I always want more whatever. It's it's what happens. It's what that carnal part of your body and your flesh desires. And if you feed those things, they will grow. But if you starve them, they will wane. Spiritual disciplines, if you feed them, it will grow. If you have a desire to be a student of God's word, I promise you, if you start right now, tomorrow morning, five minutes in God's word, that five minutes will become 10 minutes. And that 10 minutes will become 20 minutes. And that 20 minutes may become 40 minutes depending on your family situation and how much time you have in the morning, but at least it will stay solid. When you start feeding it, those things in our life that we feed the most, we will always see the most growth. And when we starve those sinful things in our life, then we begin to see the momentum that we're able to to come with. If you feed a bad attitude, your attitude is going to become worse. (laughs) If you feed good habits, those things will become worse stronger. And what Paul is saying here to the church and what he's saying to us is do not let any part of your life go unchecked because when you lay, leave it unchecked, it will either be prone to righteousness or it will be prone to wickedness. And so feed the right things. Be engaged with the right things. Let's head back to the text, picking up in verse 15. So what then shall we sin because we're no, not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now been claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefits you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says you've been set free. You've been set free. And that's a daily determination to make. You've got to realize that. The implications of your decisions. You've got to realize the status of your heart. You've got to realize the people that you surround yourself with. All of those things will either push you further and further into a life of sin or closer and closer to what it is that Jesus desires for you. As you see there on your notes, whether you realize it or not, you and I are making a determination every moment are we going to fall more in love with Jesus or more in love with sin? It's a determination. That we're, that we're making, it's a choice that we consciously make whether we realize it or not every day. Whether I realize it or not, I'm making a determination to say, you know what, I'm gonna fall more in love with Jesus or I'm gonna fall more in love with the sin in my life. If you head back to verse 19, Paul says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves. As slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourself as a slave to righteousness, leading to holiness. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, you used to have some really bad habits in your life. If you want to kick a bad habit, what do you have to do? You have to replace it with a better one. He says if there's some part of your life that you have left unchecked and it's led you down a path of just really unrighteous living, then do a 180 and say, what can I replace that with? What can I feed in my life so that I will grow? I I don't want to fall more in love with my sin, but I want to fall more and more in love with Jesus. You used to offer yourselves to all that impurity, but now he's saying offer yourself to righteousness, which leads ultimately to holiness, which again is that process of sanctification. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that you will never struggle with sin again. It's why it's a battle for us. It's why it's a constant awareness, something that we, that we have to be acutely aware of. Because if we live only according to our flesh, then we're leaving that door wide open for sin to come back in and to take up residence in our life. Again, it's those moment-by-moment moment decisions. And so prayerfully, we would say, you know, I don't want to live a life where I try to move back and forth between holy living and sinful living. Don't move back and forth because in doing so, you're failing to realize how detrimental that is, how detrimental sin is to your life. And if you don't think that sin is detrimental in your life, then it's likely that you're fully under the influence of it right now if you don't realize how dangerous it is and to realize how much it can affect your life. And my prayer is that you would experience that life-giving relationship with God. I actually pray that you would have a hatred for those sinful things in your life. To say, you know, I don't want to be okay with it. But because those sins will inevitably take me farther than I ever wanted to go, maybe make a commitment now to say, you know, I don't want to dabble in both of those worlds anymore. I don't want to try to be follower of Jesus on Sunday and follower of the world on Monday. I don't want to just talk the good talk when I'm around other people who are going to encourage me in that. But I want to seek to walk the walk and talk the talk when I may be in settings that are a little bit more challenging or not as easy as it may be here in this moment to say, I want to follow Jesus, to say, I don't want to have feet in both of those worlds. I was talking with someone uh, just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about sports, and they knew I was a Kentucky guy, and so they said, oh, I like Kentucky basketball as well. And I was like, awesome, you know, I always like somebody that loves Kentucky basketball. And so we're talking through all those kinds of things, and we're sharing things and talking about old players, etc. And that part of the conversation ends, and then he says, but I also really like Tennessee football. And I said, can you say that again? because um, I thought this, was, this friendship was going somewhere. He said, um, I really like Kentucky basketball, but I really like Tennessee football. And, and I kind of scratched my head because I thought to myself, I don't know how that's possible because I, I like both programs. I have respect for both programs. I love both states. If you're a Kentucky fan, yay. If you're a Tennessee fan, yay. I just don't know how you can be both. I just don't have a place in my brain to fit that category. How can you like Alabama and Auburn simultaneously? How can you support the Kentucky Wildcats and the Tennessee Volunteers depending on the sport? And I was reminded of the passage in Scripture of Revelations where we're reminded that you know if you're lukewarm, you'll be spit out of the mouth, but I decided to not go with that Scripture. <laughs> Because I think that that would be using that that Bible verse out of context. Um, Because that's not what the Bible is referring to. But I guess somewhere deep down, it is possible to be a fan of both. But then, when I go back to the text and I realize a life of sin and a life of holiness, it is actually not possible to love both. I love one or I love the other. And everything in my life will either be about falling more in love with Jesus or whatever I leave unchecked will be falling back in love with the world. Now, will you make mistakes in that? Shake your head yes, absolutely. Will you be perfect in that? No, but yet it's about the affection of our heart and it's about the priorities in my life to say, you know what, I don't want to live in both worlds, but rather that I would realize I've been saved from my sin and because of faith in Jesus Christ I don't have to be dead anymore. And maybe nobody has ever explained this to you before as to why sin is bad. Because see, sin is bad because it breaks a command from God. It also separates us from God. But sin also places us in a place where we think we know best. And we think our agenda is really better, or our decisions are really better. We think that we are in control. And it actually takes faith in my life to say, you know what, I want to live according to his standards opposed to my standards. I don't want to diminish the truth that God sent his one and only son Jesus to take away my sin, to show me how desperate I am, to not take his grace for advantage. And if we start every day by saying, you know what, I want to reflect on just how good he is, And just how holy he is and how broken I am, there's not a doubt in my mind that we will all of a sudden realize why it's bad. Because not only does it disappoint the standard that God has for me, but it puts me in a place that I've never intended to be. So sin is bad not just because of some legalistic teaching or not just because of some backwards thinking. It's not just a bunch of rules, but rather it's an identification of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And you see this here on your notes, that through the death of Christ, you receive what you do not deserve. Through the death of Christ, you receive what you do not deserve. It's why Romans 6.23 is so incredibly rich. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word wages is so good because wages is pay, right? None of you ever do a job unless you get paid for the job. You want to get paid for the work that you do. And what he's saying here is that what I am paid for my sinful life is death. I'm separated from God if I live a life of sin. But that free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, meaning I don't have to earn it, I don't deserve it, I don't have to check a bunch of boxes, and it brings joy to my life to know of that promise that is to come, the fact that there is a gift afforded to me that I do not deserve. So if you're wondering why sin is bad and why you should walk away from sin, know that it's because Jesus gave his life for that sin. And he gave his life for you when you didn't deserve it to take away those hurts, to take away those struggles, to take away that pain. And that process will change you. You will never be perfect. You're still going to have struggles. But there is a peace in the journey of being made alive with Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that you're walking in that truth today, dead in sin and
0: alive in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.